Easter does change everything. I tell you, Easter is the resurrection. The resurrection is the power of life over death. Everybody say that with me. The power of life over death. That's what this is all about. And you know, where did death come from? Death came from sin when we've all sinned. And we've all, we all got pulled into uh, this thing that uh, we, we didn't even understand that that's our nature was naturally has a propensity to sin. But I want to turn there to Romans if you want to open your Bible, if you have a Bible with you today. If not, just listen along. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. And it's talking about salvation. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, it doesn't say Savior. It says Lord Jesus. Now, we don't have to confess the saviorship of Jesus. We have to confess, and confess is more than mouthing it. It's mouthing it and living it. So it says here, if thou will confess or live out and speak out with your mouth in your life and, and your confession, your profession, what you communicate to everybody around you, whether it's through your words, whether it's through your actions, your attitudes, especially your words, but, but it's your confession. It's, it's who you are being revealed to everybody. If thou will confess with thy mouth, the Lord doesn't say Savior. We don't have to confess his saviorship. Jesus already saved us 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross and took away our sins. Can I get an amen? amen? We don't have to confess that. We confess his lordship. We live his lordship. We manifest his lordship for others to be able to emulate and see how we also have done that. And it says, and I'm going to read it one more time, it says this, For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead. I find that interesting. We have to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's because the resurrection is central to what we believe. If you'll believe that God raised him from the dead... Here it is, thou shalt be saved. Lordship is what we do. Him being raised from the dead is what it's based upon. If you can raise from the dead, there's nothing that can have lordship over you. I don't care what kind of a battle. I don't care what kind of a foe. I don't care. If, even if they can kill you, and you can come back to life, they can't beat you. Now, you think about that for a second. Lordship, what, you know, Jesus is Lord over the universe because he created it. He's God incarnated into a man. And anything that's in this world, whether it be Satan who rose up against him, even foolish little men who shake their fist at him, and sin of mankind which he died on the cross for, so sin cannot defeat him because he rose up. You know, the wages of sin is death. We know that. That's where death comes from, is sin. Sin is what brought death into the world. We would, we, we would live forever if it were not for sin. And, and I'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. But lordship is proven through resurrection or victory over death. Death is the ultimate. I don't care if you put it to war. You know, I, I wouldn't say, go so far as to say sports. Hopefully nobody's going to die in sports or, 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 or whether it be some type of a financial deal. 
the one who dies, obviously, in the natural does not win. Can I get an amen? All of God's foes are dead or going to die. All of God's children may physically get a new body, but they don't die. You may physically get a new body, but that's not death. That's an exchange. That's putting death to death. This body is full of death because it's full of sin. And it's full of bad things and wrong thinking and wrong doing and wrong eating and wrong living and wrong everything. Because sin has gotten us all messed up. And see, we don't die as Christians. Now, if you're not saved, you die. You follow the way of your dead body. You die. But if you're saved, you're born again on the inside and have eternal life. Eternal life is the word zoe in the Greek. I know a lot of people name their children zoe these days in the last 20 years. Zoe is a Greek word, and it means life, completely pure, unadulterated, 100% life with no infectedness of death. There is no presence of death in Zoe life. Now, it gets interpreted in the Bible as eternal life. You know, we all know John 3, 16, and, and the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In the Greek, that word is Zoe, life. And life, Zoe, means life as God has life. And in the, in the, you look in the Webster's Dictionary, I'm not, not Webster, you look at Vine's Dictionary, Biblical World, you, you'll find out that it says, life as God has it, the God kind of life, life without the presence of sin, therefore without the presence of any death. See, death is not an event solely. It's really death is a force, and it causes the event of the cessation of your biological functions or your body to die. Death is a force that goes way beyond your little body dying. It's way bigger than that. Far, far, far bigger than that. A lot of people don't understand that. But see, we don't die as Christians if you're truly born again. All you do is get a body exchange. You get a new body. Amen. How many of you think that's a pretty good deal? Amen. We, we win, win, win in every way. Spirit, soul, and body, we win. The devil loses. The world, unfortunately, loses and goes to hell because they refuse to believe how good and loving that God is to send his Savior and die for our sins for us. And then just have faith to receive it. See, Christianity is different than all other religions in many ways. All other religions basically is a meritorious system that you try to make yourself good enough to be accepted by God. You try to tip the scales of goodness over badness, and hopefully you've got more goodness than badness. Hopefully God will let you in. But Christianity says none of that's wrong. We all sinned. None of us are good enough. We're all going to hell. But we've all been saved in one sense, and we've been given a ticket to go to heaven. There's been a way made for us, and all of our sins are forgiven, and it's all there, and all you have to do is accept it by faith and make Jesus Lord and give your life to him. Yeah. See, now, in other religions, you're, you're still trying to be good enough. Well, you must have a cheap dime store God if you think you're going to be good enough. <laughs> I'd rather have my God because he demands absolute 100% perfection because he's a perfect God. And only Jesus could come and do it for us. And he stood in on our behalf of the whole human race. Just like one Adam got us all into this mess, and then the second Adam, who Jesus is called the second Adam, he, one person, got us all out of this mess. 
One brought us into sin, another one gave us grace and got us out of sin. But you still have to believe it by faith and receive it, because that's how God decides to work. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. They have to believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, that they diligently seek him. And see, for some reason, God just requires faith. That's the relationship he wants. He wants faith. You know what? With me, he's going to get faith, because he's the boss. He's the one that created everything, and he's the one that came down and died for me. I didn't go die for him. We're not our own or bought with the price, the Bible says. But you see, the Bible says that we've got to believe in the resurrection. We've got to anchor. We've got to, we've got to latch onto that. We've got to put our anchor on that. We've got to, we've got to put our hooks into that. We've, we've got to put our faith in that, that he rose from the dead. This death thing is on us, whether we like it or not, if we're not saved. Before we're saved, we're born into a death nature. How do I know that? Let me say it again. Uh, you know, man has always disobeyed. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. They weren't supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate of the tree. And they sinned. They were kicked out of the garden. And, and, and they became uh, separated from God. That's spiritual death. And that's why the, everyone since then, it says that we're born with that nature of sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, in other religions, there's no such thing as faith. You just, you just be good enough and somehow, if you can tip the scales, you get to go to heaven. See, all other religions, it's not based in uh, faith. In all other religions, their leaders all died and didn't raise from the dead. And, I, and, and I've taken many Easter sermons and gone into great detail of all the proofs of, Christ, of Jesus' resurrection. We, we're not going there today. But if you've been in this church for 23 years, you've heard many, many sermons on the resurrection and all the infallible proofs of the resurrection. But then it goes on, it says we've all sinned, but then it says the wages of sin is death. Now, we all know that we all die, right? That's pretty obvious. We all are under this power of death. Now, death is an event, but there's something that causes that event. It's the power of sin and death. The Bible calls it the law of sin and death. There's a law that if you sin, it brings death. Because God is judicial. God has a legality and an adjudicative side to him that requires sin to be punished with death. Now, because he's a perfect God, and he's a just God, and he's a righteous God. And so the wages of sin is death, and we're all under that power of death because we've all sinned. Death is a force. Like I said, it's not just an event. Now, there's three types of deaths, and it's spiritual death, and that's separation from God. And it says in Ezekiel 18, 14, that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Now, what's your soul? Your soul comes from the same Greek word, it's, it's suke is the word. It's, it's where we get the same root word for psychology. And the word soul comes from suke and it means psychology. It means that your soul is really your mind, your will, and your emotions. So that's your soul. And see, spiritually, we, we get separated from God and the soul that sinned shall surely die. Now physically, we know, it just says in James 2.26, even as uh, when, when the body... When the spirit leaves the body is dead, it says. So when the spirit leaves your body, when your spirit man leaves your body, that's death. Now, you can kind of keep a corpse with some bodily functions maybe for a little while, but you can't sustain life because out of your spirit comes life. Just because, like, God is a spirit, and we're made in his image. And then there's eternal death. There's three deaths. Spiritual death just means separation from God. You're separated from God because you've sinned. Number two, you physically die because the death in your, 
spirit man. You're spiritually separated from the life source. You know, if you pull the plug out from the wall, you just separated your vacuum from the life source. Can I get an amen? And it ceases to work. Now, the fan may run just for a little bit, and then it'll slowly, you know, stop. We're just running for a little bit, then we're going to stop. About 70 or 80 years. And so, you see, there's something about that. We're separated from the life source. And so death moves in, and it's a slow process. It takes about 70, 80, 90 years for human beings. And then physical separation, like I said. But eternal separation is in the book of Revelation. Let's just go there and read that. And it talks about this, and it's a very frightful thing. And the Bible talks about on Judgment Day. And it says, And I saw the dead, excuse me, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. On Judgment Day, many will try to flee. And the great white throne of judgment comes. And I saw the dead and the small and the great stand before God. There'll be presidents and paupers standing there naked before God. And the only thing to show is the books that is written about their lives, about all their sins. And the book of life, which if they are born again, all their sins are wiped away and their name is in that book. And stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Even those who have not gone into the lake of fire but are in hell. Two different things, by the way, uh, that are down in hell, in Gehenna, in Hades, in this place called the place of departed spirits. They get released, and they come before God to be judged. Because then, this is what happens next. And they were judged, every man, according to his works. Now, we won't be judged according to our works if we're born again, because our works would be evil. And we get born again, and Christ died for us. And then we're judged according to Christ's work on the cross that saved us. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Everybody say second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Lake of fire and hell are two different things. We won't get into that right now, according to what the Scripture teaches. But what we do know is there's three deaths. There's spiritual death, being separated from God, not being born again. We, because we've all sinned, and we all get separated, and we all live in a death cycle. And we all are going to die one day, and we're all, uh, our bodies are going to die. But the Christian, his body, it, it doesn't, in one sense, it dies, but we get a new body. In other words, we put to death the death in that body. In other words, death gets put to death. We get rid of the death body, and we get a new life body. Somebody say Amen. So that's how we need to understand that. And so physical death and then spiritual eternal death is separation from the availability of salvation. See, spiritual death is one thing, but eternal death is very frightening to me. We all experience sp spiritual death. We all, at some point in our life, realize we're separated from God or we're lost or we don't feel right or something we need to get right with God. You know, you can say it a million different ways. But you see, that second death, is if you have rebelled against that, you have put that off, you've chosen not to go there, you've chosen not to face that, you've chosen not to get right in that context, and you've never really repented and given your heart to the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible says you'll face the second death. And that separates you forever from God. It separates you ever from your family. It separates you forever from your loved ones. It separates you forever from love. It separates you forever from goodness. It separates you from ever. And then you're in a place of torment. See, I, I had an out-of-body experience. I, I've experienced 
being shown, not in the lake of fire, but I've experienced leaving my body and God supernaturally showing me uh, what hell is like. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe have a hard time believing that. But let me tell you something. It's real. It's just as real as this, as this wood in this uh, pulpit. It, it's a real place, and it really exists. But the good news is there were two Adams, so to speak. And I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. The, the death that came upon all man is what really the resurrection is dealing with. See, we, we always say, well, it's, it's the sin. Well, it is the sin, but the sin caused the death. And see, what, what's really getting fixed is, is the death. The sin was the cause, and, and you got to get to the root of that, but then the effect is death. And so that's why the resurrection is so significant, because it deals with death. And it deals with sin because Jesus was sinless, and he was the one sacrificed. And so you, you got to connect those dots, otherwise some of this may be hard for someone who isn't real familiar, maybe to understand some of these things. I didn't understand it when I first got saved. The church I went to didn't explain any of this stuff. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's an absolute fact. But look what it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Firstfruits, in other words, he's the first one, and then he imparts it and he gives that, uh, because, see, he's the representative. Just like Adam was the first one to sin, and everybody after him got that sin nature. And Jesus is the first one to come and live righteously and die on the cross and raise from the dead. And see, everyone after him that is born again and saved uh, will start wanting to move away from sin. doesn't mean you get absolutely sinless overnight. It means that you no longer want to sin. It's that you no, you no longer like sin. You're no longer comfortable with sin. When you're saved, you should have the fruit inside you uh, that sin starts becoming repulsive. Sin starts becoming something you don't want to do. Sometimes you find yourself doing it, but you don't like the fact that you did it. You don't want to do it. You may slip up and fall into it, but you have an aversion to sin. You don't have a desire to sin anymore. Can I get an amen? Your flesh still wants to sin. The unrenewed part of your mind that you haven't trained with the scriptures to think right, it, it wants to sin, but your heart keeps saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And when you do it, it feels bad that you did it. Can anybody relate to that this morning? So when we're saved, we should have that type of an experience. And so as, as, as we see here in 1 Corinthians, let me, I'm going to continue reading here. And it says, I'll, I'll read that again. It says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. Even the people will come out of the graves, the Bible says, and will rise on that final day. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so this resurrection thing is what the lordship is about. It's about making us alive. You know, Jesus, and just, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but in John 10.10, 10, it says, for this purpose, I mean, he says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said that. He says, the, the, the enemy, Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the end game. Everybody say end game. Now, he didn't say, I am come to take away your sins and to take them away abundantly. He said, I am come that you might have life and life abundantly. Now, having life abundantly is the end game, but there's only one way to get to that, and that's dealing with the sin problem. That's to judicially be adjudicated and take our death sentence for us and die on the cross for us dealing with our sin debt before God, our violation, 
and the sentence of that violation and dealing with sin first, but it's for the express purpose, not to just have our sins forgiven, but to have our sins forgiven so that we can be walking life again. Somebody say amen. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting sin forgiveness. No, he says that you might have everlasting life. Life is the end game. Everybody say, life is the end game. Zoe is the end game. That's why I see resurrection from death to life is key. How did we get there? Forgiveness of sins. No one will debate that. And that's absolutely the foundation. That's the root. That's what had to be dealt with. But the end game is that we might have life. Because if we just had forgiveness and weren't made alive and weren't spiritually alive, we couldn't go to heaven and be with God because he can't let spiritually dead beings into his eternal abode. And you see, if we just have our sins forgiven and we're still spiritually dead then we can't have life as God has it. Are y'all hearing me this morning? See, it's not good enough just to be forgiven. Israel was forgiven in the, in the, in the ancient world where they had atonement and they killed the lambs every year and, they, and, the, and you know, the death angel passed over the first time and, and all this about the forgiveness of sin. It's not good enough just to have our sins forgiven. We need our sins forgiven for the express purpose that we might have life. Because you know what? If you don't have life and you don't have a change in your nature, you'll just keep being evil and you get your sins forgiven and you're still evil. Yeah. It didn't do you any good. Yeah, you got your sins forgiven, but you're still evil. You haven't got a new life. You haven't been born again. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have become new. Behold, all old things have passed away, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. So we've got to have more than just a forgiveness. This, is, this resurrection thing is about life. It's about Zoe life. It's about abundant life. It's a, yes, it's about getting our sins forgiven so that we can have life. So we're talking about death. And in Colossians, how did he do, I mean, how did he do that? In Colossians, it talks to us about that. And I'm going I'm to read quickly out of Colossians 2 and 13. It's a really powerful thing. How many of you have ever, you know, I remember one time I, I saw uh, the, these, uh, these guys that were hung these old cowboy movies, and, and I've looked at some old archives, and I've read some old cowboy history, and I've seen some old outlaws in the days of the wild, wild west, and I saw these cowboys, and, and after they hung them, and then, you know, they used to take picture of people when they were dead in their caskets, and I guess, you know, that was something they used to do about 100 years ago. People don't do that so much now, but anyway, they were dead in their caskets, and they had their good, nice suits on, and they were laying dead, and above they had their name. But they also had that they had been hung for murdering like three or four people, and it, and it talked about kind of their legal record, how they'd been, why they'd been hung. And they, they were criminals, and they were outlaws. And, and I don't know if any of you have ever seen old, old historical pictures like that before. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever seen. But anyway, I've seen those pictures before. And, and it's interesting because that's a lot... When Jesus was hung on the cross, and it says the ordinances that were against us were hung up there, Jesus hung there on all of our behalf. Think about it. Now, think about that while I read Colossians 2 and uh, verse 14. It says, Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our head. And then look at what it says, and this is another translator. And the second part of that verse says this, and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. What? This document of all the broken laws and the commandments which were hung over our heads 
In other words, those dead bodies, they died. They were stating, basically, the reason why these old cowboys are laying in these coffins and they are dead and they were hung is because look right above all the people that they killed or all the sins that they committed or all the laws that they broke. And folks, when you see all the laws they broke, that dead body there, that's the payment for it. That's the payment for them doing their bad deeds. But see, with Christ... Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And it says right there that the sins and all the things were above his head. Spiritually, all of our sins were up here. And his dead body was the price that was paid for all of our sins. Can I get an amen? Just like those old cowboys. And so when you understand that scripture, what three things change in the resurrection. And number one is our legal status changes. We go from being an outlaw to a guy whose fine has been paid. We go from an outlaw to someone whose fine has been paid. Jesus was nailed to the tree, and the legal judicial death sentence changes our status it's either pay the fine or do the time. Jesus paid the fine, and in hell, we won't have to do the time. Jesus paid our fine, so in hell, we won't have to do the time. But there's something about that. Our legal status has changed. In 1 John, it says this. It says, my uh, brothers and sisters, if any of you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, advocate means like lawyer, attorney, one who stands in and intercedes. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation of our sins. What's propitiation mean, Pastor Bill? It's a big, scary sound and theological word that just means the satisfying of justice, uh, the adjudication, uh, the placating, and the substitutionary work of Christ who stood in on our behalf to satisfy justice. You see, he satisfied justice. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He died for everybody's sins. We now, as the human race, have a different status if we'll accept it. We have a different status. And because we have a different status, we have a new father. Look what it says. I'm going to take you there quickly to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says this, and you hath he quickened. Everybody say, and turn to your neighbor and say, and you hath he made alive. Oh, you weren't dead physically. No, we're talking about made alive spiritually. You hath he made alive spiritually, you could say, I mean, in Ephesians 2, 1, 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead. Everybody say, you were dead. See, we're made alive, but we were dead. That's talking about our spiritual. But, but then there'll be a physical resurrection because Jesus, he rose from the dead physically, and he's the first fruit of all of us who are going to raise from the dead. Who were dead in your trespasses, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the power of the prince of the air, the spirit now worketh, everybody say this, in the children of disobedience. Did you know we were children of disobedience? And when you're children of disobedience, the next verse tells you what you're also children of. And among whom also all, we had all our conversation in time past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, and of our mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. If you're a child of disobedience, you're a child of wrath. When my children were disobedience, they were soon children of wrath. 
When they disobeyed, they felt the wrath of my rod spanking them on their bottom. When you're children of disobedience, you're children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, were quickened us together with Christ. By grace were you saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our legal position. That's our status in Christ. That's not our physical position. I mean, obviously, we didn't, boom, go up and sit in heaven with God. But legally, we are seated. We have been changed from children of wrath to children of God. We, we're no longer children of disobedience and children of wrath and children of the devil. It says, hereby we know uh, they that do righteousness are children of God, and they that do not do righteousness are children of the devil, it says in 1 John 3 and 10. And it talks about how when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, he says, uh, you're of your father, the devil. You know, when we talk about being a child of the devil, we're not talking about a guy with horns and a tail and hooves, a red guy with a pitchfork, ha having a relationship and, and, and producing a child. No, we're talking about, now here's the biblical version. We're talking about a high and holy and most beautiful angel of heaven that became selfish and egocentric, and rose up against God and said, I'll do it my way. Yeah. We're not talking about some foolish, Hollywood, idiotic, moronic, mindless depiction of the devil. We're talking about this sophisticated, glorious, deeply, profoundly intelligent, spiritual being called Lucifer, the archangel of heaven, the highest one who is the covering cherub before God suddenly decided to not keep God, Jesus, Lord, who said, I will be Lord. He didn't like, I'm going to go cut babies' heads off and murder people and slash them and have satanic ritual. No, 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 no. Lucifer was this beautiful angel who did this one thing. He said, my will, not thy will. He said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. He says that in Isaiah. He said, I'll ascend above the stars of the earth. I will, I will, I will, I will, not thy will. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. That's what Jesus said. He's just the opposite. He says, my will, not thy will, God. And anybody who's in that status has a Luciferian attitude. You see, and so what, what it is, we're, we're children of the devil doesn't mean that our dad is a guy with a pitchfork and horns and, and, and this goofy little cartoon Hollywood idiot character. No, but this magnificently beautiful thing that turns inward and selfish. You know, we're wonderfully made. You know, we are a, a, the human race is an amazing thing. And, but we have all our gratitude needs to go to God. And we need to be submitted to God. We need to love God. But when we're a child of the devil, that just means we, like the devil, says, no, my way, God, not your way. That's what being a child of the devil is. Or a child of Lucifer, child of Satan, Beelzebub whatever you want to call him. But all that means, see, the, the Bible gets all, you know, don't ever let Hollywood form your understanding of anything. I can feel my IQ going down just saying the word Hollywood. It is so stupid, so moronic. But let me tell you something. When you get a biblical understanding of things, what you realize is being a child of the devil is a child of self-will and doing it your way instead of God's way. And so that's what needs to be repented from. Can I get an amen? amen? And so children of disobedience, 
But the Bible says we can become children of God. It says he came on his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. It says in, in Romans, the eighth chapter, it says this. It says, and we cry, Abba, Father, because we've been adopted and we're joint heirs with Christ. We've been adopted by God. The Bible says he loves us. He's adopted us. He knows that things went wrong, and he's made them right. And he knows, and it wasn't him that caused it either, but he came down and made it right. And it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, as many as are obedient or submitted to God, but as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Romans 8 and 14. So we have a new status legally. Our fine is paid. We've got a new father familiarly. And so that's changed. Three things have changed. And then lastly, we have a new nature. It says this in the second uh, Peter. It says, according as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world through lust. Did you know you are partaker of the divine nature? What's the divine nature like, Pastor Bill? What, how would I know if I have the divine nature? Do I become like 100 times smarter because now I've got God's nature? Do I become 100 times stronger because I've got God's nature? How, what, what is the indicator of what God's nature is? How do you know if you have God's nature? You know what God's nature is? Can anybody tell me what God's nature is? God's nature is love. And love fulfills the law. The Bible says if you walk in love, in Romans 13, 9 and 10, it says love fulfills all the law. Now we've got a nature that naturally the law is written on our heart. Now we've got a nature that naturally makes me not want to kill my brother. How many of you know love won't commit murder? How many of you know love won't steal? Love won't covet the neighbor's wife. Love, you know, how many of you know when you have a nature where you walk in love, and we're talking about the God kind of love, not selfish human love, but the kind of love that sacrifices for others, yeah. that kind of love doesn't kill. That kind of love doesn't steal. That kind of love doesn't commit adultery with somebody else's wife. That kind of love doesn't covet somebody else's goods in their car, in their house. They're happy that they have them, not that they'd be happy if they had them. You see, love changes you from the inside out. How, why do we have the nature of love? Because how many of you know the Bible says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8 that God is love? How many of you know that's his nature? We're going to read that real quickly because it says about John that we, and it says we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Love is the evidence that we've had a change from a death nature to a life nature. We know we've passed, this is 1 John 3 and 14. We know that we have passed from death, over here's death, unto life. How do we know that? Because we love the brethren. We've got a new father, and his nature is love. We've got a love father, and he has loved children. We've got to love God, and his children are loved children. Because we've got a new nature. Look what it says in John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that is born of God knoweth and knoweth God, and he that loveth, knoweth, loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let me read that one more time. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth 
is born of God. That's how you know a Christian. You'll know them by their love, right? Can I get an amen? amen. And he that loveth not, now we're talking about the God kind of love, not, not the selfish phileo love, not the selfish eros love, not brother love, not romantic love. We're talking about sacrificial love. Let me say it again. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. See, we get a new status legally. We got a new legal status. We're forgiven. Number two, we got a new family status. God becomes our father. And when we have a new father, we have a new nature, and we have a new nature. So we have a new God. I mean, excuse me, we have a new father who is God, and he is, you know, you can take a pig and you can dress it up and put it in a $1,000 suit. You can take a pig and place it in a very expensive Chippendale dining room set. You can take a pig and put a $1,000, uh, you know, bottle of wine in front of it. You can put a pig and, and serve it up a, a $300 meal at the most expensive restaurant in all the world. And you can try to teach that pig manners, but I'm going to tell you something. No matter how you dress it, no matter how you, uh, you, you stage it, no matter how you brand it, it's still a pig. You aren't going to change its internal manners. And, you know, pigs go oink, oink, dogs go bow, wow, and cows go moo, and horses go whinny. And you aren't ever going to change that because what's inside a pig's nature will come out in a pig's actions. What's in a lost person's nature, he's a sinner, he'll come out in his sinful actions. What's in a born-again person's nature, which is love for other people, will eventually come out in his actions. Maybe not perfect, maybe not all at once, maybe not every single time, but they will start moving in the direction of love because they can't help it, because it's their nature. That's if they're really saved, if you're really born again, according to these scriptures. And so, you see, that we have power over the death. And you know... When we get saved, all these things begin to change. And we have a love nature. And a love nature is a life nature. Love produces life. Hatred produces death. Because hate is sin and it produces death. Love is God and he produces life. And the resurrection was the ultimate act of love. And it took us from a death nature to a life nature. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And you see, this is how death, hell, and the grave all... You know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You go from talking death to talking life. You know, did you know there's two types of talk? How many of you know there's, there's death talk and there's life talk? Proverbs says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. They have the level of the fruit thereof. Jesus said that by your words are you condemned, and by your words shall you be saved and be justified by your words. James says your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It'll, it'll guide you. It's like a bit in the horse's mouth. It'll guide you. You're either going to have... Life words or death words? How many of you know, also, uh, you can have, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. You can have death-mindedness or life-mindedness, the way you think. You can have death in the way you talk or life in the way you talk. You can have death in the way you think or life in the way that you think. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 7, I believe. And we can go on, and you can have, in your ways, you can walk in the ways that produce life or in the ways that produce death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way. Everybody say a way. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So his way is life. So when you change your 
words, from death words to life words, you're taking off the grave clothes. You know, how many of Lazarus was raised from the dead? And when he raised from the dead, he came out there like this, because he was still mummified. And, he said, and Jesus says, now take the death clothes off of him. Yeah, he's alive, but now you've got to get some of that death off of him. See, we're alive when we get born again, and we need to get the death. We need to get the death out of our talking. Can I get an amen? Life and death is in the power of tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We, you know, it says we need to get the death out of our thinking. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. We need to get the death out of our ways. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. But Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." So not only do we get to be born again on the inside, but we can start having experience. You know, Lazarus, he experienced life, but then he had to get, take some of the death evidences off of him. We need to get our death evidences off and death clothes off. But the resurrection is this. It has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And it is our victory today. Let's stand up. We'll be dismissed. Amen. I'm thankful. When I got born again, life came into me. Life changes you and makes you want to walk in love. Death makes you want to hate. Sin and death is a hate path. Being born again and love is a life path. It's a love path. How many of you want to recommit yourself, identify yourself, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. Amen. Amen. It is life. And it's life more abundantly. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power over death, hell, and the grave. Father, we thank you that we can understand that when we get born again, we've got a new legal status. It's called forgiven. It's called the fine is paid. We've got a new father. And he's love. And we have a new nature which empowers us to walk in love. Father, we can express that love through our words. We can express that love in life through our thinking. We can express that love and that way of life and that direction, that path, that life, that way through our walk with you. And we thank you now for it. Bless the people today as they go. May they walk in the principles of life. Father, may they accept and lead others to receive eternal life through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and defeating death, hell, and the grave and sin. And Father, may we go forth from this place, bless coming in and bless going out, the head not the tail, above only not uh, beneath. And we'll give you the praise for it. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, bless